This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to the Drinking with Authors podcast. Woo! I don't know why I, myself, I do this every time, but it's okay. Um, I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is... Vanessa Valiente. And our guest today is Scott Baker. Woo! Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking for a minute. I should actually not hold up the glass, but the bottle. I found this new Malbec, and I don't know if I like it yet. It's called King Rabbit, and it's got a rabbit Ooh. on it. Oh. And it's got Malbec written in very crazy. I don't know why white rabbits are always associated with craziness. Maybe Alice in Wonderland. I owned a white rabbit. You do? Crazy. Yes. I'm used to. I had one as a pet years ago. Remember in the scene, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, when the white rabbits attacked him? Yes. She walked and sat in front of the television and like was looking at it as if she was taking notes. That's kind of crazy. The purple rabbit. (laughs) That's probably a bad thing, actually, though. Vanessa, what are you drinking out of what appears to be a coffee cup, but I know is not? Well, I mean, it is a coffee cup, and there is coffee, but there's also a mix of Kahlua, so it's not, you know, it, it's not plain Jane. Look at you, rebel you there. Okay, Scott, what are you <laughs> My favorite, Gentleman Jack whiskey. Ooh. I usually drink Jack Daniels. But Gentleman Jack is for special occasions, like spending the night with you ladies. Oh, I like that special occasion. And I'm drinking a weird wine that I've never had before. So, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I've had two sips of it. I'm hoping it gets better the drunker I get because it's not wowing me right now. But, Scott, why don't you start by telling our lovely audience what you write? Um, I am a general horror writer. I write predominantly zombie novels. Uh, my first zombie trilogy was the Rotter World series. I'm currently in the middle of Nurse Alyssa versus the zombies up to book seven, probably go to at least 10 or 11. And I'm about to finish up the first book in my third zombie series. But I'm not a one-trick pony. I've also written a trilogy about modern vampire hunters uh, trying to unrest the nest of vampires in Washington, D.C. You know, those blood suckers that just take the life out of you, and I'm not talking about Congress. Uh, I've written, <laughs> I've got, a, I can say that I worked in Washington for 23 years. So um, I also got a new series, uh, two books, The Ghosts of. It's uh, about Tatiana. A, a young woman who's a paranormal psychologist who is trying to exercise evil demons uh, from various locations. And then I've got a spread of other stuff. I've done everything from giant bugs, torture porn, aliens from outer space. And since this is an adult show, and you'll love to ask the next question, I've even done tentacle sex. <laughs> Oh my, well, you know what? We ha- we just came from Tampa Bay Comic-Con, was it like two weekends ago, selling like a bunch of our authors because we, you know, we, uh, Erica owns a publishing company and we were selling books for all of the authors we represent. And there was people that were upset that we didn't have any tentacle porn smut. So there the were ge- people that, that are, for, you know, searching for that. 
The book is rejected for content. <coughs> I'm in it, but I'm under the name Matthew Ockham, of course, for obvious reasons. The story behind it is I was at a convention once and I was on a panel, how far is too far? You know, some people like won't kill animals. They won't harm children. And this guy in the back stands up and he says, I'm with an oceanographic research institute. We're going to do a charity book. Uh, all the proceeds go towards saving the oceans and the topic is tentacle sex. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm challenged. I've never done anything like this before, but I did the reverse. I didn't like the idea of some Japanese schoolgirl on her way home being molested. This is a frustrated housewife who comes across a starfish and has a consensual gangbang. So. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, it's smart all the way, but it's, oh, there's no, you know, she's enjoying every second of it. So I send it to the guy, and he writes back this, like, horrible letter. My God, this is disgusting. How could you even send me something like this? I'm like, you asked for tentacle sex. What do you want? <laughs> Why do I die to her? What was she going to do? Take her for seafood? Yeah, if there's a line, they should notify you where that line is then. Yeah. So oh anyways, a friend of mine was doing a book, rejected this, I think five books in the series. You can look them up on Amazon. There are stories that are so bizarre, so bizarre, so disgusting, and so over the top that they can't get published anywhere else. And what she told me was the editorial board had to debate whether including my book. Oh, wow. But they finally did. So, but I'm saying it's it's no worse than Fifty Shades of Grey, except it's a starfish. Now, do you know why about. they were hesitant about it? Like, what was there not enough of? I'm just curious. Oh, no, there was plenty of sex. I mean, you know, it's a starfish. Five fins. I, she was happy. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he, wasn't, maybe he was upset about the fact that it was consensual. <laughs> wow. Mm. Wow. I did, you know, actually, there was um, uh, somebody I know writes, um, and I'm going to not say the name of it correctly, but it's a type of porn where you get off on being eaten and oh, swallowed whole. Isn't that the cannibalism kind of? It's not cannibalism. It's called something else, but you're literally eaten, not like bites of you eaten, like you're swallowed entirely whole. It's like a. Oh. Anyway. Because there was a German movie about that, about the, the a guy could only get one guy could only get off if somebody was eating his flesh, and the other guy could only get off if he was eating somebody's flesh. And it was a bizarre, naturally, it was a bizarre movie. I was going to say they're lucky they found each other. Okay, <laughs> and do you see within moments of starting the podcast, we've gone completely left and <laughs> there. Does so it matter to me? Yeah, it doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter to me at all. That's why I started the podcast. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your you're doing eleven books. You're up to book seven in this nurse versus the zombie. Sweat you. Allergies. Okay, start again. So, nurse versus zombies. Nurse Alyssa. One of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to start a zombie series for the average person. I read a lot of books out there, military guys, former military guys, preppers, cops. Yes, it's fun, but they know what they're doing. So I came up with the, well, actually, my social media manager, Alina, came up with the idea. 
Alyssa is just a normal nurse. She's in the ER working in the middle of her shift and bodies start coming in all torn apart and they start dying one by one. And while they're trying to figure out how to save them, all of a sudden the dead rise back to life and start attacking the staff. And the whole series is this young woman, not a prepper, not a zombie fan. She's just a normal everyday person who has to try to survive. And like the first book is her fighting her way out of Boston. The second book is her getting to her ex-husband's cabin. Now he was a prepper, but uh, you know, he's got a cabin in New Hampshire with food and ammunition and on the way she picks up people, but it's sort of like an adult coming of age novel. You know, how would any of us deal with an apocalyptic situation? You know, social collapse, economic collapse, a huge natural disaster. Are you sure you're not talking about the news that was on yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I sometimes watch the news thinking to myself, I can't beat this stuff. I'm just going to give up on fiction. Oh, I'll tell you. We oh. Anyway, what kind of zombies do you have in your books? <clears throat> Various ones. In this book, my zombies start out fast. They're just recently dead. They're, they've got nothing to hamper them. So they're fast zombies like in World War Z, um, Army of the Dead. As the bodies decay, they get naturally slower to a point to a point that they're eventually only a major threat if there's large numbers of them. But I decided to kick things up in my series. So anybody who doesn't want some spoilers, turn the volume down for a minute. But in the fourth book, I bring in zombies that have developed feral hunting instincts. They're not smart, but they've learned how to hunt in packs. They've learned how to to drive. Like some of them will drive the prey into a a gully where the rest of them can take it down. Hmm. That makes sense. I, you know, I like when people have tricks. I, I love zombies. I write horror as well. I'm actually presently the only horror writer in the publication company because horror writers are not as frequent as people would think you know you can find romance and erotica writers everywhere actual horror writers and i love the, the entire everything having to do with zombies i think zombies are amazing and terrifying and at some point they will be here but i think they're going to be like 28 days later zombies where they're like got a rabies kind of infection yeah they're not undead but they're nuts yeah but to think that they wouldn't remember or be able to figure out how to survive everything eventually figures out how to survive well what i do with my i've touched on in one of my books um and i even did a short story from a zombie's point of view i it would be fascinating to write a story or a novel about zombies being animalistic but still retaining their thoughts and memories almost like those those insects that are infected with spores and they they still know what's going on but the spores infect their brain and ask them command them to like crawl to the top of a tree branch and spread the spores could you kill a zombie if you knew it still had sentient thought inside Hmm. yeah you know, it's one thing it's one thing to blast the head off of something, you know, half its head is eaten, it's covered in maggots. But what if you could cure them? 
Yeah, no, that's the whole thing. I, I actually wrote a really funny short story called, called Do Zombies Poop? <laughs> and it's about um, a guy who works at a, I forget what I called it, detention center. But basically, um, zombies start getting infected, right? They realize if they keep them at very cold temperatures, it slows the decay. And depending on um, how rich and expensive a package, it's kind of like a, a nursing home for zombies in a way, right? That he works at, but he never tells anybody it because then they ask him lots of dumb questions about zombies, right? They don't call them that. I forget what they call them in the book, but the whole premise is they think eventually they can cure them, but of course their bodies are decaying. Right. So they're trying to find all these ways, like they don't have them out with outside time because if they're outside, then they're in the sun or the heat or yeah. whatever, unless it's winter time. But the whole premise is, couldn't they cure them? People come and visit their zombie relatives thinking they're talking to them. It's ridiculous because yeah. it's an inanimate object at that point in that story, you know? But if you could cure them three months into it, you'd be curing them and their body would be falling apart and decayed. Would you be doing them a favor or would you be condemning them? Well, it kind of goes to that whole question, like when people have people that are um, basically vegetables and they keep them going and you know what yeah. I mean? They do the whole thing. Is that really that person anymore? Or See, I've always thought of writing a story like that, but then I've realized that would be going down so many political rabbit holes. Oh, and yeah. I have, and yeah. I could have so much fun with it. You know, the zombie rights groups. And, but I figured I would wind up pissing off like both sides of the band base eventually. So I haven't <laughs> done it yet. Oh, that's a quick question. Yeah. So uh, Erica's stories have no happy endings. Would you say the same about your books or is there a mixture or what, what, what do you normally go for? More often than not, I'm happy for a series. I mean, for a series or for standalone. Um, I'm not the happy-go-lucky, oh, you know, the, the woman and the guy get married, they walk off together, they have kids, all the good guys live, all the bad guys die. I'm not that type. I kill off a lot of characters in my books. Secondary, main characters. Um, and even if the story concludes positively, like if the zombies are defeated, if the vampires are defeated, not all of the main characters get to live to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just find that, I mean, and it just depends on the story you're writing. A lot of my stories are more sort of psychological i mean there's horrific things that happen in them and gross stuff and i actually had somebody read my story and she was like um forget exactly what she said but it was something along the lines of like yeah thanks a lot for that because she got <laughs> to the end of it and she was like oh my god but i find that a lot of the stuff i think that happens in stories and you've got a series you've got a main character traveling through the series i'm sure there's quite a few people that she's come into contact with that have not met fabulous ends right oh, one yeah. way or another and it's because in a lot of these worlds in a lot of these settings to me you wouldn't and i see sometimes horror writers force a happy ending trying to be nice about it but you go this is not how the story would end for these people yeah I mean, I haven't decided, honestly, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with Nurse Alyssa yet. I have two endings planned. One happy, one not. 
Um, I just got to wait and see where it goes. But I mean, real life is real life. Not all the good guys are going to live. Not all the bad guys are going to die. You know, some of them, some of the worst characters are going to survive and continue on through the book. Some of the characters you come to love and admire aren't going to make it. It's just, it's just the way it is. No, it's true. Um, so when did you start writing? Take us back to the beginning. The beginning was when I was about eight, nine, ten years old. I loved writing. I got hooked on it watching Kyle Kolchak, the Night Stalker. I loved the way he wrote the beginning and the endings. And I mean, it was crappy writing. I was 10 years old. I had a little notebook about this big. I wrote it down. You know, a short story was three pages long. You know, my mother told me I was, oh, the next Ernie's coming way. And I didn't realize then how full of crap she was. But I just kept on writing. Um, I took a uh, short story and journalism course in high school. I didn't do much writing during college. I was, well, fictional writing. I was busy writing everything else. And then when I joined the CIA in 1990, I started writing techno thrillers and all espionage novels. And the first two books were crap. No one has read them. They are so bad. They're buried deep in my computer somewhere. Uh, even Facebook and Zuckerberg couldn't get to them. But the third one was actually good. It was about North Korea uh, developing five nuclear weapons. They put four in the States. They test the fifth. And they says, okay, if you don't pull out and let us reunite the Korea under our terms, we're going to launch a nuclear war in the United States. It was a great book. I got an agent right out of the gate. It was with a publisher, one of the top five in New York City, and 9-11 and the market dried up overnight. So I spent a couple of years um, concentrating on the war on terror. And then I was looking to get back into writing. And a friend of mine says, well, why don't you try horror? You love horror movies. You love horror books. You'd probably be great at it. And I wouldn't have to pass everything through the uh, publication review board at the agency. So I started writing the, ba the Vampire Hunters trilogy. And then I got the idea for Rotter World, which was humans and vampires fighting zombies. And the rest is history. Wow. How many books have you written total? Oh, let's see. Hang on now. I've got three Waterworld, three, three vampire hunters, seven in the nurse Alyssa. Uh, I got the five shattered world. I've got the, the two ghost books, Yaitso. I've got over 25. That's very, very cool. Thank you. Plus, I got two anthologies of just all my short stories I've gathered together. That's very cool. When So your social media person came up with the um, Alyssa and the, the zombie situation. Um, well, I have to ask, what are your vampires like? They do not date teenage girls. They rip them apart and suck their blood. I am. Um, they do I, not sparkle because this is a very do, pivotal question. They do not sparkle unless you set them on fire. I Ooh. grew up. I grew up with Christopher Lee and Bella Lugosi and John Carradine as Dracula. Thirty Days of Night is my type of vampire. Yeah, mm -hmm. now the masters are human in form and can change at will into really hideous vampires. 
what the snuffies, as I call them, the regular vampires. And they call them snuffies because the masters make them just so the uh, hunters can snuff them out. They're like the 30 days of night or the Salem's Lot vampires. Cruel, evil. They don't care who they kill. They don't care where they attack them. And then what I do in the series is I introduce the vampires, hunters, and the vampires. Second book, I bring in the Vampanomicron, the Book of the Undead. It's a mythical book that apparently exists, and it has the secret of, for the vampires, how to control the world. For the humans, how to destroy the vampires once and for all. And then in the last book, Dominion, I have the apocalyptic battle to see who will rule the earth. Mm. And where do the zombies come into this one? They don't come into this one. My next series, Rotterwood, was a small band of humans and vampires fighting zombies. And yes, before you ask the question, I do have zombie vampires. That that is an age-old question on what uh, vampires do with zombies. Vampires don't do a thing to zombies. There's no blood to suck. But if you're a zombie and you bite a vampire, it's technically still living. So the, the vampire, with all the strength, with all the evil, with all the ferocity of a vampire, now becomes a zombie. So you, yeah. have, you have something with the strength of a, a vampire coming to eat your neck. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you said, so you're um, in your basement. You mentioned that. Um, do you ever freak yourself out? Have you ever written something and need to get up and just walk away for a minute? No. Never? And that's kind of, no, and that's kind of sad, some of the stuff I've written. You know, I've never freaked myself out with what I've written. I've freaked out family members. I mean, I've had my wife look at me sometimes like, okay, where's the gun? But I've, ne- I've never freaked myself out. Yeah, my boyfriend's read my stuff and he's like, you're terrifying. I'm glad you're putting this on paper and not acting out any of this. (laughs) Yeah, no, one time I was in a car with Erica and she was telling me how she was doing all this murder research, how to hide the bodies. And she's like, has a smile on her face as she's saying like all the little tidbits she's learned. And I'm looking at her like, okay, I'm not going to piss you off because I don't want you to kill me. (laughs) You have to do realistic when people put stuff that's not realistic and it doesn't have to be perfect science, forensic science, but when they do something and it just would never happen that way, like people who think that you can leave a body in the swamp and then a month later, somebody will find it and recognize it. That will never happen. Like that's not what would happen to that body out in the swamp. Now, if it was in Canada or something, it was cold, you'd recognize more of it depending on animals and blah, blah, blah. But I just, when, when I hear people, when I write, read things people have written and stuff or even shows and they do that, it irritates the crap out of me. I'm like, watch them snapped. This isn't how this works. Now, I, I research everything thoroughly before I do that. My first, my first horror, well, no, my second published short story is Incident on Iron Stone Lane. It's available in my anthology. It's a washed up horror writer who comes home one night. He's about to be dropped by his publisher and he finds that the local asshole has killed his dog and his catches him raping his wife. So he knocks him out. And when the bad guy wakes up, he's tied in his shed in the middle of nowhere. 
And for the rest of the story, the horror writer is torturing him in the most grotesque ways I can cut, like using a planing saw to take the skin off of his back. And the reason he's doing this is very, very apropos for the end of the story. And that's all I'll say. You'll have to go read it. And we'll have to definitely read it. I'm just going to say throw a cheese grater in there every now and then. Because that'll remove skin too, by the way, Vanessa. Hashtag something you should know. People, oh joke, with me <laughs> People <laughs> joke with me and ask, how do I tell the police, you know, that I'm not a murderer, that I'm a horror writer? And I joke with them. No, I had to become a horror writer to prove to the police that I'm not a murderer. But have you, like have, have you ever put yourself in a, in a situation as research? Like I've heard of like authors putting themselves in the trunk of a car and had like someone drive them around. Have you ever done anything to kind of get an idea for a story? Nothing like that. But during the Nurse Alyssa series, I reached out. I got a tour of the Washington, D.C. sewer system. I wrote them and just said, you know, one of my books takes place in the Washington sewers. I'd like to, you know, get a feel for it. Next thing I know, I get a call. Yeah, meet the crew at 6 a.m. And these guys took me around and we were going through sewers and they were showing me everything. You know, I got to see how a, um, the mortician's office in a nursing home function was. I mean, it's great. There's so many people. Um, I had one big bug story I wrote, and I called an entomologist at the, uh, National, uh, the National History Museum in Washington, D.C. He invited me over. We spent the whole afternoon talking and coming up with story ideas. Yeah, people will help you. We um, There's a girl, uh, I shouldn't say girl, there's a, a woman who um, is one of the state forensic labs for the state of Florida, runs the forensic labs, and she's, I've called her up and asked her about different things with like weapons in water and stuff yeah. like that, and she's like, oh yeah, no, this is what would happen, this is how you do it, this is how you prove it. Because you almost have to, especially with today's technology, if you're writing in today's time period, minus an apocalypse, right? right? And forensics could be involved. You have to go, how would you get around the forensics part? Like, exactly. what wouldn't they look for? And then when do they start looking? Because we see all these shows that make it seem like CSI comes in and does every single murder scene like that. And that's not what happens at all. And yeah. so you have to go... When would a serial killer tip the scales for them to actually start doing the forensic? And then how long would it take them to process it? Yeah. Gives you how long you have with your uh, lead character. I don't want to say the hero of the story because yeah. that's all in the eyes of the beholder. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Vanessa's sitting there going, I'm never going to Erica's house again. <laughs> <laughs> that's her. That's that's what Vanessa's taking away from this particular podcast. But I just want to know, I never want to upset either one of you. <laughs> Can you imagine if you upset us both at the same time? <laughs> I got 10 acres behind my house. I always joke with my friends, you know, for a bottle of whiskey and you bring the pizza. Not only will I say you've been here all night, but I'll find a place in back where nobody will look. <laughs> Also, you bury the body six feet under, then you bury a dead animal three feet above the body. When the, when the body-sniffing dogs by the police sniff, they'll dig up the body. They'll dig up the body of the animal, think they got a false positive and don't. And do not take your damn cell phone with you. That's what I tell mm -hmm. people all the time. People are idiots with this cell phone crap. Oh, yeah. Do not take your cell phone and don't take your fancy smart car with you. 
You're going to be yes. screwed. It'll tell yes. you exactly where you were. And take your uh, easy pass thing down. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Write this down. This could become important. All right. I'm right. I'm, when I'm plotting my next murder, I'm going to. What do you mean, next murder? Oh my God. Yeah. Next murder? We have to take a break, and we're coming back to Vanessa and her next murder. We'll be okay. right back. <laughs> This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. I'm ready. Okay, we're back. Vanessa, please stop admitting publicly about killing people because this is recorded. And so... Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, the whole phone thing that I told you about. Okay. Where's my little MIB flashy thing? You, oh, do I need <laughs> no. a flashy thing, you? Yeah, flashy thing. I'll have my friends <laughs> at the agency come by with one later. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good for you. You should leave now. <laughs> leave your phone. Go. Go. Okay. So, um, are you started and then you're in the agency, um, without revealing what you can't reveal, what did you kind of do in the agency? I spent the first 10 years working for what they call the foreign broadcast information center. What we did was we monitored Chinese, North Korean, Russian, um, Saddam Hussein, Muammar Gaddafi, Cuban radio, just to see what they were, especially the communists, because the okay. communists always, always would stay on the media first, the state-run media, what they were planning on doing. So we'd be able to tell, like, the president, hey, you know, I think the North Koreans are going to start getting hardlocked. I did that for 10 years. I was a uh, DI analyst for three. Um, and then right after 9-11, a friend brought me over to, it's now the National Clandestine Service. Um, used to be called the DO, Directorate of Operations. And I spent the last 12 years of my career having a great time. I worked against North Korea. I worked against Iran. I worked against Iraq. I spent a couple of months in Basra. Um, I worked um, Iranian military, uh, North Korean nuclear weapons, ballistic missiles. I dabbled a little in chemical and biological weapons. I did cybersecurity. Got to travel all over the world, lived three years in South Korea, three years in, um, in Okinawa. Wow. So a lot of the places I visited make it into my books. But I think that's great that you were there and then could talk about it because it's, I think it's very different when, you know, we do like to write about places we've never been or whatever, but I love it when people write about places they've been and incorporate that because they do that area justice then yes for what it's actually like and, you know, the tone and the settings and, you know, it's kind of like we, we had an author on and he said, everybody writes to upper Manhattan when they write New York, they write upper Manhattan. Yeah. They don't write Lower Manhattan or, or they write the Bronx, but nobody, you know, really writes Brooklyn and stuff like that. He, he, he was talking about how, you know, people get the idea because movies and everything of, you know, the fancy stuff, but they don't write the real areas. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we're the real people. Yeah. So have you, do you self-publish now? Are you traditionally published? How do you publish now? I do self-publishing. Um, I started with traditional publishing. I had three different, three or four different publishers for the Vampires Hunter series. And the only reason I had that many was they were small, they were small independent publishers, not the traditional ones. And they kept on going out of business. They couldn't compete with Amazon and Macmillan and Penguin. So when the fourth book, when the book came back to me the fourth time, I figured no sense trying to sell this to others. I mean, it's been out there now for almost 10 years. So I self-published it. And that's when I fell in love with self-publishing. It was like, wow, I can do what I want. I can, I don't have to edit out a scene if the publisher says, oh, that's too gross. I can set my own price. I can give it away for free if I'm if promoting another book. So all but two of my books right now are self-published. Hmm. Wow. And do you, I, I'm assuming, because we saw your covers. We, we cyberstock all of our guests. Um, <laughs> and we saw your covers and stuff. Did you set up a really good system for editing and covers and typesetting and all of that? Or how much of that do you do? Oh, I don't do any. I don't do any of it. Um, my social media manager, she goes out and she finds covers or cover artists and connects us and we talk. Um, Chris Bentelot uh, does the Nursalist series. Fantastic. I love that guy. He's great. He knows what I want. I give him a couple of like, this is what the story's about. The cover comes back and it's one or two minor changes. Um, some of them, I just, uh, for some of the books, I just buy them cheaply online. I look around and it's like, oh, that's a good cover. That's, you know, worth a hundred dollars. And the Shattered World series though, I spent almost $500 each for those covers. Well, I, I have to admit, I, when, uh, when I looked at all your books before I actually knew what you wrote, the first thing I said to Erica was like, he's a horror writer, right? And she's, and she was like, yes. And I, I have to say all of your covers were, it was, it was obvious what you wrote. And that thing, that's fantastic because, you know, a lot of times people, especially in self-publishing don't know what kinds of covers are going to sell for their particular audience and yours, they pull it off perfectly. I mean, there was no question what it was you wrote, you know, and there, so I just wanted to give you kudos for that. Thank you. I'll let, um, I'll let my media manager, Alina know. She'll be very proud. <laughs> no, she's the one, she pushes me. She was, I was like, nobody's going to buy a book about a nurse and a zombie apocalypse. She's like, yes, they will just do it. And I finally was like, okay, I'll do this. I'll write the one book. It'll go nowhere. And you know, then you'll listen to me. And now it's at seven books and people are clamoring for the eighth one. So. I finally learned to just shut up and let let her tell me what to do. Always listen to the woman. <laughs> okay, we're not going down that path. But movie <laughs> alien. Nobody listened to the woman. The ship got destroyed. She's the one that killed the alien and she saved the cat. Yeah, no, that is aliens is my favorite movie ever. I loved aliens. I love that she's standing in a meeting with all these governmental people and she's like going, none of this matters. What are you people doing? Like, yeah. Yeah. Again, a broken character. See, she is broken. Ripley doesn't come back all like, okay, I killed an alien. Let's move on. She's totally yeah. screwed. Oh, yeah. Totally screwed. Um, 
Yes. So one of the things, um, you know, to what she was saying and that I think was really good is you could have looked around for cover, saw a cover and gone, oh, I think that's cool. And then put it on your book and everybody's like, what is he right? Like, yeah, this is it's a pretty cover, but it doesn't actually go along with the genre that you write. Um, have you ever, uh, besides um, the um, previous stuff that you wrote, like the North Korea book and stuff like that, have you ever thought about writing fantasy or sci-fi kind of? Fantasy, no. Um, I'm not a huge fantasy fan. Um, you know, I watched Lord of the Rings once and never read the books. I don't think I would do well in fantasy. Science fiction... Yaitso, the book I put out, is sort of science fiction. It's my homage to the 1980, uh, 1950s big monster movies. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's PG-13. Um, not a lot. There's no F words. There's just a tiny hint at sex at the beginning. And it's about something gigantic running around the New Mexico desert. And... They try to find it. They, they find it a third of the way through the book. And then the rest of the book is the science, the military, and the government trying to kill it. Now, I have a book coming out later this year. I put it aside. I've jumped back into it. It's called Operation Majestic. It's science fiction. And I describe it as Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Back to the Future with aliens. Ooh, I like that. So there is... A Definitely a fedora, a DeLorean. And well, in, in very short, the timeline changed. The Germans went back. And the Germans were contacted by a bad alien race in 1945, went back to Egypt um, to meet the Anunnaki, the, um, the bug-like aliens that were helping the Egyptians build the pyramids. And picked up nuclear weapons that they went back forward in time to use against the Russians and the Germans and win World War II. A good alien race lands at Roswell in 1947, tells the Americans this should never have happened, and sends a bunch of Americans back to stop it. Hmm. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Do you, um, do you believe in ghosts or things supernatural things like that i firmly believe in ghosts but i am tone deaf you know there's supposedly a ghost living in my basement sometimes the cats stare at the corners though i think sometimes that's just them being assholes hey that's what we can do with the master <laughs> but my wife my wife is very attuned to ghosts and she feels them um we are both World War II historians, and we've gone to some battlefields in that in Europe. And like we went to one of the um, uh, one of the concentration camps, and when she got to the gas chamber, she couldn't breathe. She had to run away about a hundred feet and catch her breath. So yeah, I believe in them. It's just they one of them could be standing right behind me now, screaming. I just don't have the ability to tune into them. Interesting. Interesting. What about um, how much research have you done on things like vampires and stuff like that when you're writing? Because the, where the vampire legends come from, besides, of course, Bram Stoker's whole vampire thing. Have you done a lot of research going back in time to where those came from? Yes. I did a lot of research 
because I didn't want the vampires to be the typical, you know, ooh, you throw a string of garlic at him and you win. I mean, what the heck did garlic have to do? Unless maybe, you know, like it's Italian vampires attacking the uh, Austrian vampires. Well, I don't, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think the Italians would have a problem with the garlic. Like, yeah. But I did a lot of research and I sort of give my vampires my own twist. You know, they can be around during the daytime. They just can't be in sunlight. Um, a stake through the heart will kill them. Holy water will will hurt them. Um, you know, garlic, things like that didn't. I, I put sort of my own twist, but I don't break with the trope too much. I mean, if they get caught outside, they burst into flames. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of research on the history, found it fascinating, and even wound in some ancient Chinese vampire history into the series. Hmm. The main character is Shang-Chi, which, uh, which is the Chinese name for vampires. And I gave her a very unique backstory that really, I think, I've never seen it before, and it plays well into the trilogy. What, what made you decide to write mainly female protagonists? Um everybody writes male protagonists you know it's i hate and despise so much this scream from the 1950s the screaming woman who screams at everything runs in high heels trips 43 times you know and then has to be saved by the guy it's like no no i mean apparently like they can run from dinosaurs, though, in high heels. Like, yeah. you ever seen Jurassic World? <laughs> oh, my God. I love I love Jurassic Park. <laughs> she comes through that thing, and the more she gets torn up, the sexiest she looks. Oh, my <laughs> God. She specifically requested to stay in those heels because she was like, they said, no, you change into boots and stuff. And she's like, you're in the middle of this emergency. You're having this. She's an executive. Why the hell would she stop to go change her clothes? Yeah. Like it wouldn't occur to somebody who was handling an emergency. And she actually had to argue with the director about it because he wanted to put her in combat boots and have her change. And she was like, there's no way I would change. Oh, no, that's when I got the biggest crush on her was in that movie. <laughs> but no, I just I, I enjoy the female protagonist. Most of the, uh, so many of the zombie books and the vampire books I've read have male protagonists in it. And it was just something I thought might be different. It, the reason in my Shattered World series, which is really a young adult, yeah, I guess you could say it's fantasy. Um, the whole series is Jason McCready is a 16-year-old. His mother conducted a scientific experiment that blew open portals between Earth and Hell. And all the demons are coming forward to take over Earth. So he goes around with a group of friends to try to close every one of the portals and save Earth. Um, I did it as a young adult novel with a male protagonist because there aren't very many young adult novels with male protagonists. So I thought that would hopefully break into a market. Did you, do you feel like, you, are you ever worried about... Um, I guess when you write something that's outside of your own experience, do you ever feel worried about writing a female character or do you like, what do you normally do if you ever feel like, do you have people to beta read your stories before you actually put them out into the world? Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a group of beta readers um, who look through it and I tell them, don't be nice to me, pick on everything. Um, but like, you know, my wife is a nurse. 
so I'll run all the nurse stuff by her, you know. And I, but I, I want to. I'm a bit of a dork sometimes. She says, "Dick," because I'll ask her, "Okay, how would you? Which medicine would you use to kill someone quickly?" And she's like, "Okay, give me some background." <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I think she thinks I'm out to get her. But I, I do run it past people. Um, you know, I try to have diversity in my novels with some of the secondary characters. But like, I would never write a like a African American character as the main protagonist. I don't have enough understanding of the background and what he or she has gone through. To me, that would be that would be wrong. But you know, I know I have a lot of female friends. You know, I've been married twice. I've got a daughter. I think I understand a little bit about, you know, but, and, you know, I know a lot of people with trauma in my life. Like one thing I have sworn I will never do, and I've never done it, is describe a rape scene. But I will describe the trauma afterwards, what they go through, what they think. And then in some cases, the fun they have when they get revenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about your fans. Um, so what is the first moment that you remember running into a fan or seeing a fan? Oh my God. That's one of my fondest memories. I was, I'd only written, let's say I was, I'm the first or second vampire hunters book. I had just released for the world and, um, cruise of the living dead. My first short story had been released in an anthology, a printed anthology. And I was at a uh, Infect Scranton convention. It was the first Infect Scranton. For several years, Scranton, Pennsylvania used to do these conventions. And I lived in Washington. It was only like a three, four hour drive. And the doors opened and everybody comes in. And this young girl comes up, to me, runs up to my table. You know, she's clasping a book and she goes, are you Scott Baker? I'm like thinking, okay, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And she goes, oh, great. She opens the book. She had fallen in love with, with Cruise of the Living Dead. And she came to the convention solely to get my autograph. Oh, my gosh. I bet I'm like, you know, moment. I'm like, oh, my God, that is so... I don't know if she's still following me. I mean, she might be. And if you're out there and you see this, contact me. I mean, that was just like the biggest ego boost ever. Wow. I bet you couldn't top that at that convention, no matter who walked up to your table. No, no, no. What about, um, have you had anybody dress up like your characters or show up as a vampire or a zombie at your table? Not anybody dressed up as my character. I, I mean, I love, I love the cosplayers at the convention. I've always taken photographs and posted them. They're great. But yeah, no one's ever dressed up as any of my characters. Well, good gauntlet thrown out there, fans listening. Yeah. Next time you show up at a con, show up at his table dressed as one of his characters, because that would be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> might get you a free book. Hey, free books out there. So on <laughs> your next convention, 50 cosplayers show up and they're listen. You're like, damn that podcast. It doesn't matter. You know, I... To have your fans show up for you is the greatest thing. You know, I, I always sell my books a little cheaper. You know, I tell people, if you buy three or more books, I'll give you a discount. You know, it's not about the money. It's about the fans. 
You know, if, if your fans like you, if you're honest, if you're fun, they'll buy your books no matter what. You know, so I'm not going to be a, you know, I, I go to conventions and it just drives me nuts. You go to see a celebrity and it's, you know, $30 for a photograph, $45 for a professional photo, $20 for a selfie. And I'm like, everybody flocks to these people and handouts $100 at a time. Come visit the friggin' authors. We sell a book for $10 or $15. We autograph it for free and we'll take a thousand selfies with you. We'll, we'll, we'll even dress up with you. Whatever you want. Well, we're there. If you buy our books, we're, we're there. Well, I always tell people that it's interesting, too, is that when you're at a booth, if you're selling more than just your books, too, the, the moment you go, the author will sign the book. The fans go, really? That book just got yeah. 10 times more interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, there's so many books that we were like, at the con, the most recent con, and we were like, oh yeah, they were like, oh, this book looks interesting. Like, And we're like, well, if you buy the book, the author's right here and their face just lights up and they're yeah. like, you know what? Sold. And I, I always love when I see readers like very eager to support authors as well, you know? There, there's, I mean, the readers, the fans are why we do it. You know, it's, yeah, we do it for the money. The money's fun. But honestly, if I make enough money so I don't have to, like, you know, stand in a corner with a cup, I'll be happy. <laughs> I love it when a fan writes you. I love it when a fan comes up with a couple of your books and says, oh, my God, I love these. Will you autograph? And I, I'll autograph a book for free. If you bought the book, I'm not going to say, oh, I'll charge you for the autograph. I mean, come on. You bought the book. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the fans are the best part. Meeting the fans are the best part. And then meeting some of the cool celebrities and writers are the best part. There are some that are complete absolute dicks. Yeah, no, that's unfortunately true. Who was your favorite author that you got to meet? Did you did you fan over any authors that you actually got to meet? Fanning over an author, no. My favorite one my favorite author was Brian Key, who wrote The Rising and started restarted the whole zombie genre well i used to run when i was in the agency for, for 10 years i ran the agency writers group and i used to call, reach out to writers and say hey, different genres not just horror you know would you like to come out you know if you got a friend bring them we'd get them into the agency and we'd give them the day tour we'd get them in we'd show them the museums we'd uh take them to dinner you know we'd have the We'd have the hour or two hour session where they could meet fans, sign books, you know, talk to them. We'd take them to the executive dining room for dinner and then the gift shop, which was always letting them go in the gift shop was like letting kids go in a toy store. You know, it was just great. That's where I first met Brian King and uh, J.F. Gonzalez. And they became great friends and mentors to me. I hadn't been published yet. And these guys were like, you know, they read the book. They said, you're going to do well. Your book is great. Don't worry about it. Just hang in there. And Brian and I are still friends today. Very cool. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I've ever fanboyed over. I'm not over any. Well, maybe when I met Brian Lovely, who wrote the Necroscope series. Yeah, now, I loved his books at Time. And I was a little bit like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. I don't know if I've ever met any, any actor or actress I've 
Dan Boyd all well, now there's another challenge late. We obviously have to find somebody that makes you be like, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Barbara Eden. Oh, no, no, no. There was one. I'm sorry. Bada Kirsten from Lost in Space. Judy. Oh. I, I went to, I had the biggest crush on her when I was a kid. And I went to a convention. And she was there. I was not selling i was just there for the fun of it and i went and got her picture and she was talking to me i was just like tongue-tied i had no idea i even told her i had a crush on her when i was little it's like Duh. and <laughs> she took a picture and she like puts her arms around me and hugs me and it was just like oh my god <laughs> well you know what it's interesting because i i I have the weirdest meeting celebrity luck. Like I meet them in very weird place. Vanessa's heard a lot of my stories of just, I will somehow stumble upon a celebrity and be able to interact with them. And it's not this whole thing. But I realized a couple times in meeting certain celebrities is that it pulled from a, a, a good place in my history that meant a lot to me. And mm. it's not necessarily them, but the movie or the TV show or something like had such a place in my heart or a, you know, part of who I yeah. was when I was a kid that I just go, Oh my God, this is amazing. And I find that to be true. Also, like I, there was a guy who was dressed. I went to dragon con one year. Uh, one of the years I went to dragon con, I should actually say, and he was dressed as ducky from 16 candle uh, not 16 candles from pretty in pink. John Hughes movie. He was dressed yeah. as um, John Cryer's character, Ducky, perfectly dressed as him. It wasn't John Cryer. And I literally am like, oh my God, I love this. And I, I saw him walking and I'm like, oh my God, that's Ducky. And of course I knew it wasn't Ducky. It was somebody dressed as Ducky. Yeah. But I, I potentially chased him down, hypothetically speaking, with my friend and made my friend take a photograph with him. And in that moment, I was like, what I'm experiencing is just the joy of having this piece of my childhood that I remember and going, this is so awesome. Right? It was funny when I'm, was dating my current wife. She lived in Florida. And I had gone to one weekend, I had gone to Fort Myers for a um, for a zombie convention. And at that convention, I met, God, I can't think of the actor's name, but he played T-Dog in The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. Do you remember his name? I don't remember no. his name, but yeah. I met him at Spooky Empire. But go yes. ahead. Oh, God, I love Spooky Empire. We'll get back to that. So we were having drinks one night. We were talking and chatting. I was telling him I was down here, you know, what I did for a living. And then I was going up and I was going to spend the next week in Gainesville with my wife. So with my girlfriend. So we went up to Gainesville and she took me to my first Spooky Empire. And T-Bone was there. T-Dog was there. So we're in line waiting. And when I get to the front of the line, he looks at me and he goes, Scott, it's so good to see you. And he comes around the table and gives me a big hug. Now, right now, my wife is like fangirling. So we talked and chatted. And he looks at my wife and he goes, you must be Allison. Oh, all he did was talk about you last weekend. Aww. I was golden for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> you were like, I could literally do nothing wrong. Yes, yes. <laughs> No, that is that is amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay. We are actually near the end of the podcast. Oh what no. The heck? Time flew. Um And I'm not drunk yet. I know. <laughs> Don't worry. We still got 
We still got another episode. We still oh, got okay. another episode. Yeah. Um, what uh, advice would you give authors out there? Authors or aspiring authors? I kind of just say authors because I think there are authors that are also aspiring authors. And there are authors that are, you could do both. Do both. Go for it. For somebody who wants to write and hasn't written or published yet, just write. I don't care. Write a write one page a day. Just do it. Don't plot. Don't plan. Don't spend three years filling up notebooks with fantasy worlds. If you write one page a day, you write 365 pages in a year. You now have yourself a full-length novel. Just keep on writing. Don't worry. It may suck. You'll get better at it. The first time you play football, soccer, the violin, taekwondo, you're not good at it. It's just the practice of it. For other writers, just keep at it. I know there's a lot of scammers out there. I know there's a lot of haters out there. Write what you want. Be happy what you write. I write for myself. I don't, you know, I mean, yeah, I write to make others happy, but I won't go into a genre that doesn't appeal to me just to make money. That That's no fun. And if I'm not having fun writing, the fans aren't having fun reading. I agree 100%. How do fans find you? What is the best way? Best way to find me, call the FBI. They keep tracks on me 24-7. But if that you're afraid to call the FBI, Scott Baker's Demon Hunters on Facebook. Um you just asked to you just asked to be a member of the group. I accept everybody. That's where I post everything. That's where I, you know, fun things I post. Um, you know, behind the scenes Tuesday when I've got a new book or a cover reveal coming out. Uh, that's where I let people know. And then from there, every once in a while, I just list, okay, here's my Twitter account if you want to join on my Instagram, signing up for my email newsletter. Very cool. Awesome. It was wonderful having you on the podcast. It was great being here. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. It's not often I get to spend the night with two lovely ladies. Oh, well, thank you. Thank and you so much. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. I'm going to consider that a win. Yes. <laughs> okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co host has been. Vanessa Valiente. Our guest has been stop, stop. Oh my goodness, this wine is doing great. Okay, now you're Scott drunk. Baker. <laughs> Somebody has to be drunk on the podcast. It's fine, Kalua girl. Our guest has been Scott Baker, and we will see you next time. Ciao.